for December 13th, 2018. It's the Lullabot Podcast. It's the Lullabot Podcast, episode 230. I'm Matt Cleave, Senior Developer at Lullabot, with me as always, co-host of the show, Senior Front End Dev, Mike Herschel. Hello. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Georgia's on my mind. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. You know what else is uh, on my mind? Content strategy. Dude, it's like you read it or something. I know. Maybe I know, you read the so document that we're working off of or something. Yep. Yeah, so georgia.gov, content strategy with lots of content and government and interesting requirements and Lullabot, right? Yeah, we're going pretty deep uh, this episode. So Lullabot's a strategy design development company, uh, been in the Drupal space for, I don't know, quite a long time. And uh, one of our clients recently um, was the state of Georgia. Yep. And as part of that, we uh, did content strategy for them. What that means, uh, we're going to ask our guests. Yeah, it's one of those words that means something to somebody, but doesn't mean the same thing to everybody, I don't think. so. When I think of content strategy, I think of our first guest, who is a senior digital strategist, uh, a.k.a. Serds. He is a writer, <laughs> writer, speaker on content strategy, IA, CMS topics. He often translates between design, editorial, development, and marketing teams. He brings nearly two decades of web development experience to his role as digital strategist at Lullabot and has designed and implemented large-scale web platforms for clients such as Sony, BMG Music, Fast Company, Harvard, WWE, Verizon, MSNBC, and more. And to top that all off, he has created the Drupal Execute function and has accepted that he's going to hell for that. Welcome, Jeff Eaton. Hello. Uh, yeah, that, that was... That that bio was like copied right off of like my LinkedIn, I believe. So, hey, so, so does, Drupal, does Drupal execute still exist in uh, Drupal eight? Oh man, I don't know. I've just blocked out all memory of it. It, was it one does of those- not. Oh, it's gone. Well, it, you know, it changed. Like, it changed to Drupal form submit in Drupal seven. So does it just have a better but- name? Yeah, but I don't know if it's still there in Drupal 8. I mean, I'm pretty sure that function was created during the Bush administration, so I think I should get some sort of a pass. Which, which Bush? <laughs> yeah, I created it in the, uh, in the early 90s. Okay. All right. <laughs> awesome. Hey, also with us, we heard his voice, uh, senior digital strategist at Lullabot. He's been at Lullabot for about six years, has nearly 12 years on Drupal.org. Um, is the he was the Drupal eight configure he was the Drupal eight configuration management initiative lead. He is an internationally ranked pinball player with history of uh, coding for pinball machines as well. He ended 2018 39 miles away from achieving gold status on Alaska Airlines because he's been traveling everywhere to clients and meeting with them and talking content strategy. Hey, it's Greg Dunlap. Hey, what's happening? Uh, you're here talking content strategy. You're right, I am. <laughs> And next up, we have a senior user experience researcher, uh, four years at Lullabot with clients such as the Grammys, Harvard, and Pantheon, a writer and speaker on design, and also an amateur game and toy designer, uh, internationally acclaimed designer of the Kraft Macaroni and Cheese Box, the Cheesy Explosion. (laughs) Welcome, Marissa Epstein. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate being very specific about my my cheesy accomplishments. Is that true? That is true. So if you uh, 
go into your local Kroger or Publix or what have you. There are three flavors of beautifully sculpted exploded cheese boxes um, for, for you to see. All right, then. Well, mom wouldn't be proud of that. That's awesome. I was going to say, I guess that's how bacon gets made, but it's how macaroni gets made. I, I, think, I, think, I think the phrase is that's how the sausage gets made. Ooh. Really? I always thought of it as bacon. Which but, is also know. good with macaroni and cheese. Totally sausage. I'm not sure there's any sausage on, on their website, but there is a lot of different things going on when we're talking about the state of Georgia. So when we go to georgia.gov, there's one website, but I understand there are many websites as well. Just kind of take us through uh, the, the, the project from an upper level. What did, what did we do with them? Uh, we were initially approached for this project uh, by the state of Georgia, and they asked us to go through their RFP project process, which we did. And when we were selected, we went to talk to them, and uh, they um, told us about their setup, which is they ha currently have, you know, they're a, state, they're a state government, so they have a lot of different state agencies that they have sites for. And each one of these is currently an individual Drupal 7 installation based on an install profile that they created in-house as part of their last migration because they were previously on Drupal 6 and then moved to Drupal 7. So um, they were looking to move all of these sites to Drupal 8. They were probably looking to keep them as individual sites. Um, well, they're, I, should, I should clarify, they're individual sites, but they're sitting in a multi-site installation. Um, so they're individual websites, but they're not necessarily individual installations. Uh, how many sites are we talking about? There are about 120 state agencies, of which 85 are on this platform, give okay. or take. So um, they were looking to move all of these agencies into the new world of Drupal 8. Um, they were interested in being really very forward thinking about their migration strategy to Drupal 8 and their build of their new platform. Um, one of the things that really appealed to us about this project is that the team at um, over at Georgia, their digital services team, is very focused on being citizen-centric and on focusing on aspects such as accessibility, on you know, being mobile friendly, about, you know, readability and about making it easy for citizens to find the things that they need. Um, and one of the things that was going to help them enable do that was going to be um, making it easier for data, for sites to share data between each other and to make, make it easier for the individual agencies to create content that would be accessible and readable and findable by users. Um, so we went into this uh, with the plan to, you know, create a content model and a set of workflows and an editorial process that would, um, you know, allow them to do that and to come up with a plan for how these agencies will be able to share content between each other and and out to the rest of the world because you know the other things that they're talking about is making this information available for instance to their call centers so that the call centers have more up-to-date information and being able to track how that information being available to call centers for instance in, uh, reduces the number of support calls that they get and all of this kind of stuff so they're um they're really they're really thinking big pictures and they're a really good group of people to work with so tell me about the uh, the content, I guess, the uh, content modeling side of things. When you start with 100 and however many websites or 80-some on Drupal, they're all different, aren't they? Ish. 
ish. Okay. <laughs> so, but it's not a one size fits all install profile. I'm not sure I've ever seen such a thing. Um, somebody needs yeah. something different, and so they get something different. So, I'm sure it's a huge content audit to start. Like, is that is that kind of the the kickoff point? What what do you have? Figure that out. Yeah, that absolutely was true. And um, one of the first things we did, even before we actually finished signing the contracts, was we started investigating how we would inventory all of the content on these sites because it was on a scale that we had never really approached before. I mean, typically, you know, we get a Drupal site and our and our main starting point would be, you know, well, let's dump the menu table because that'll give us a a inventory of all the URLs and URL patterns that are available for the site. And, you know, we have 85 sites. Even just doing that would involve um, a lot of work to, you know, not only just get them all, but then to put them together in a way that was meaningful. And, you know, it would require us getting access to their sites, which often doesn't happen particularly quickly at the beginning of the project, as I'm sure we're all aware. So one of the things we decided to do was figure out a way to spider all of the sites. And um, and we did that. And, uh, and we got a lot of information out of that very, very quickly, which was really helpful. Uh, for instance, one of the things that we discovered, which shouldn't have been a shock going in, but was a shock to me, was that they actually have more PDF documents on their websites than they do HTML pages, order yeah. of like, you know, 40,000 PDFs to, you know, 35,000 HTML pages across all the sites. Is that because there's a there's a preference um, for, from a usability perspective? Maybe PDFs are, are better it, or what's... It's because sin exists in the world. <laughs> so what you're saying is, is that the body field exists. I, 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 explain. I mean, it, for, for better or worse, like the, the problem of like tons and tons of stuff just existing in PDF form and being put up put on the web, it's, it's very common, especially in government agencies, where PDF was sort of the default fallback for many, many years because there were all like so much of what the, of the, of a government's interaction with people was forms and paperwork that had always existed in a form that could be like handed out and filled out and returned. Then taking that to PDFs was like an obvious, easy next step. And as the web got better and better ways of doing that started becoming more, more doable. There's tons of government agencies that like just have decades and decades of stuff sitting there that it works in uh it, it, it works okay it's a pdf file that can be downloaded and printed out but like you know can we do this a better way is a question that you can ask very easily when you've got two or three or four you know pieces of information in pdf form but when you've got say 20 or 30 or 40 or 50,000 of them it's not the sort of thing that you can really tackle without there being like a really significant strategic, like platform wide step back and look at the problem, which is dovetails into the work that Greg was talking about, you know, stepping back and saying, how is this stuff being used? What are the patterns here? What's the low hanging fruit of stuff that we could do differently or better? Yeah. And to be clear, a lot of that is repeatable stuff. For instance, you know, a not insignificant amount of, that of, of those PDFs was, you know, the minutes of regularly scheduled meetings going back for several years. Um, and those, and, you know, you, it seems like a simple thing, but if you take those, like, say you've got, uh, say you've got an agency that has, you know, two or three different monthly meetings and you take all of those meeting notes and go them back, 
you know, five or six years and then multiply that times 85 agencies. And now you've got a significant pile of PDF documents. And they're really only in PDF because, you know, they had to creating notes and the meeting notes were created electronically, probably in Word, and then they had to share them. So they just made a PDF because it's not what they know how to do. And then that PDF, once they have it, just gets uploaded to the website because it's the easiest and it's what they know how to do. You know, I mean, the process by which this happens is pretty straightforward. But being aware of it and what they are and what better options there are available to to, you know, not just for the editorial side, but for the end user um, is, is, you know, figuring out all of that was was, you know, a big part of what we were trying to do up front. So an early lesson from a content strategy perspective that you took was, hey, we need a good way to handle documents and media. Yes. Because mm-hmm. there were a whole mess of them, figuring out what stuff should stay documents, what sh- stuff should, you know, what stuff needs to stick around, what stuff is legally mandated, what stuff is useful, um, what stuff is, you know, part of the natural, you know, flow of a particular agency's work and what they do versus some additional thing that they just have to create because of the way the system was designed and, you know, in, in a previous iteration, you know, figuring out that kind of stuff was helpful. I think a lot of the, a lot of the really large scale migrations we've done in the past, um, were for, you know, for like publishing and entertainment organizations that, you know, every single piece of content they produce is essentially supposed to be a money-making product to a certain extent. It's either, you know, something that people pay for access to or something directly promoting something that people pay for access to. So, you know, there's very little demand unless something is like actually bad and you want to take it down because it's doing something, you know, because it's hurting you. There's very little demand to call things. But um, it's interesting because the problem that Georgia faced um was it's very different you know they're not like trying to sell the state of georgia to anyone this is all stuff that's out there to like serve the residents of georgia and help them get information from the the government or interact with the government or whatever and figuring out good ways to assess the stuff that they already had on, you know, on those criteria and figure out what purposes it's serving, you know, is it needed? Is it not needed? Um, rather than just planning like a lift and a dump migration of everything that existed. I think that was one of the challenging things because there's a lot of good that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot you can accomplish with that approach, but like Greg was saying, at the scale of something like this, it's very daunting. And, you know, you can't do it for every single document, but you can at least start, you know, building the sort of the rules and patterns to follow as, you know, as individuals go through and check that stuff out. Um, it was definitely interesting. Um, I think, you know, that's that's one of the things that, we've, that we talked about a lot on the project is that, um, you know, this was actually a lot more, a lot closer to building like a technical support um, website than a marketing website. And I think it was, it was really rewarding in that sense, because there's, you know, we've, we tend to, you know, move around in a couple of different industry verticals in the work that we do at Lullabot. And this is one that I think is sometimes less glamorous, but super, super meaty from like a content perspective. The needs that we saw here were definitely very interesting. I found this a very unique uh, project, as Eaton is saying, because of that. 
for example, some of the research we did was learning about the most important tasks that citizens were using the site for. So we learned about uh, SNAP benefits and uh, talking about the documents, you know, that those were application forms that really had to be a PDF based on their level of detail and they were changing all the time. But you could hear from someone that some little error or small bug in the editor's uploading experience could ripple out to tens of people that weren't able to get uh, food stamps or maybe child support or some of these much larger impact problems that we got to dig into. So it was very interesting to see how these smaller implementation details could really affect a lot of people's lives in a pretty meaningful way. Yeah, it's we were we were working with um, the the design team that was um, that was working on the the visual design work for the for the project. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely interesting because uh, they they interviewed uh, like different residents of the state of Georgia to uh, to like figure out you know interaction questions about how they you know how they use the website use the various websites and stuff like that and one of the questions was like so what does it look like if you know you you know you fail at a task when you're you know using the website you know what what's your next step and somebody said to them well I I guess I'd starve to death. Oh wow! <laughs> like that's uh, yeah. The like the stakes can be a lot higher. That wasn't tongue in cheek, um, was it? That was yeah. No, uh, no, it, it wasn't. It, it was a deadly yeah. serious. It's like oh well, you know, if if this didn't happen, or if it you know was delayed by a week or two, me getting these forms put together, you know, well for a month I wouldn't have food. Mm-hmm. And it was like yeah. that. That was really sobering. Thinking about like we're used to a lot of user experience or, you know, content messaging and, you know, making something easier to read and move through a site or whatever being about like getting somebody to some, you know, some piece of information they want, not necessarily thinking about it. It's like, Oh, there's, you know, people's survival could be on the line. And those are the stakes, not just like making the Google analytics numbers go up. So how do you evaluate a form? You know, say you have a standard PDF form on one of the, you know, 80 something websites and you want to say, you know, is this form needed? Uh, Can I leave the PDF or do I need to make it into some type of, you know, online web form? What goes into that process? I mean, so because of the time frame that we were looking at and the scale that we were looking at, we didn't really have a chance to like, um, you know, tackle every single one of those individually. But we did work with the Georgia team to figure out like what what some good guidelines would be um, for each of their agencies to begin evaluating that stuff. Because the, the, a lot of those kinds of questions aren't just purely like user experience and readability questions. They require a pretty deep understanding of like what the specific issues of, you know, what the specific needs of that government program are or, you know, you know how, what is the actual scenario in which um, a user comes in and reads and fills out this form. So what we did is we went and worked with them through a couple of example, um, you know, a couple of examples of, you know, different, different processes, different kinds of government programs that are, you know, high priority and went through more of a process of talking through the subject matter experts at a particular agency, figured out what the hitches are, um, you know, went through what the different paths to all the information are, and then came up with, 
some proposed ways to improve you know some of those examples and then moving into more of the content modeling and planning and user experience and research stuff figuring out like what are what are the tools that would make this easier that could then be used in other, you know, for other programs and other services throughout the different mix of agencies. So it was like we were doing this inventorying and auditing and then also figuring out what a good set of tools would be to simplify and streamline the system so that they could do this stuff better with a little less overhead um, and then sort of have a little more free bandwidth for everybody inside of each of the agencies to focus on, you know, doing what they know the best. So when um, moving away from documents, so there's 80 something websites right, right now. Is that looking to be consolidated into one or a couple websites or is that going to grow to encompass like the other, the other uh, departments that are not yet on Drupal or how is that working? The latter is the goal. Um, one of the original project goals that we talked about was retaining all the departments and agencies that are currently using Drupal. So it's based on their own organizational structures, uh, you know, the way that they're set up. There are sites within sites for all the different organizations. So it can't be really simplified um, to less sites, um, but more sharing a single platform. So we definitely wanted to create something that had a couple extra features and were more usable than what uh, the previous platform offered, which was why a lot of the other sites weren't on Drupal. Some of them had had a Drupal site and then left and wanted to use another CMS to better serve their particular needs. So we tried to accommodate as many of those sorts of things as we could while still creating something that, that worked for most, um, you know, with, of course, lots of flexibility as well. Gotcha. If, if anyone from an agency in the state of Georgia is listening, no, we promise we are not attempting to consolidate your websites. <laughs> yeah, I bet that's actually, um, honestly, a sensitive topic, yeah, too, because everybody oh, yeah, has their yeah. own needs. But the, the, the Department of Agriculture is not the Attorney General's office, is not the Department of Human Services. You know, they, they all kind of have their own desires and needs for their website. Um, so leading, leading yeah, into that... At the that, same time, there's definitely a benefit to the uh, citizens of Georgia for some amount of consistency in, you know, messaging and presentation and knowing that we are, and there is a lot of cross agency, you know, there's a lot of stuff that crosses agencies. Like when you get a driver's license, you may need to get a copy of your birth certificate, which means going to another agency, or okay. we talked a lot about, you know, getting married or getting divorced, you know, stuff that crosses mm -hmm. agencies. Right, exactly. And so there is a lot of stuff that crosses these agency lines that some level of consistency across the agencies and finding the balance there is really important. So is it, is it up to each one of these agencies to determine their own content types, et cetera? No. How does that work then? Because we, we've just said everything's different, but it needs to be the same. How, how many content types do you end up with if you already, I mean, if you're starting with dozens of websites that are all kind of different? I mean, it, so, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, part of that was looking at what's already there, you know, the, and that's where the auditing process that Greg talked about, you know, was, was critical because we were looking at what patterns of usage were there, you know, how are different types of stuff, you know, being handled on the, say, environmental protection website versus the, um, you know, Department of Justice, you know, Georgia, Georgia Department of Justice website, you know, th those kinds of things. Some of them we could look for patterns that were 
were common across all sites. And then we could identify what stuff is really a unique need that can't be made universal very easily. Um, the good news is that a lot of content types were definitely shared. Um, and, you know, that's something that we found a lot. I mean, a, a, a phrase I think I use way too much is that like you know human and chimpanzee dna is something like you know 97 percent um the same but it's that three percent that really really does make a big difference um so like a lot of the content types that were there across you know all of these different agencies could be the same but we had to take care to make sure that like there were specific points of flexibility in them that would allow them to do you know the different kinds of jobs that different agencies had and then you know there were a, there were probably i think you know, a final count when we when we finished up our side of things and it sort of transitioned over to more development. I think there were maybe half a dozen to a dozen different content types still in the mix that were just agency specific, basically. You know, things that would only really be used by one or two agencies and would be hidden for the other ones. But um, you know, it, so it's there's still those edge cases and special cases that are there. But the idea was to hopefully have you know like 90 percent of the content on any given agency site be those universal shared content types that you know there wouldn't have to be lots of customization for mm -hmm. and just to clarify something that you said there we did have uh, the ability to simplify it a little bit as part of that solution so yes. here we have a much larger set of content types but if you don't need a recipe content type you can find that uh, for the majority of agencies or allow you to favorite ones that you're more often to use uh, or even more granularly, I, this might open up a can of worms, but you can get into permissions as far as what users can and can't use to really simplify what each agency's options are to what they actually need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the funny things that we found was that, um, and this is where I think Marissa might have some interesting stuff to say too, because we, we spent a lot of time, not just on what the content types were, but on what they were named, how they were explained and how we presented them to the people who would be doing like the, you know, creating and editing and managing them day in and day out. Because we found that like, even if there's a great, concept that you have in terms of like how a Drupal site works or how, how your you know CMS and publishing system works and it's not using the language or the you know the terminology or the framing that you know the members of a particular you know the staff of a particular agency is used to it doesn't get used and they just start making pages so boy it's that was it's almost like that's an important part of work marissa how, how might one, how yeah. might one <laughs> I, I first just want to echo that was so mind-blowing for me um, we did a lot of different research on this project and one of the first was just discussing with editors how they used the site and why and we found that there were a lot of content types that they were actually asking for. I wish I could do this. I wish I had that. And it was there, um, but they didn't see it or they didn't know how to use it or for some reason uh, weren't using them. And so in these discussions, we found that there was one site page type that was always getting used because they knew, you know, editors had familiarity with that and didn't even know what the other things were. They might look right past the title that's exactly the right page, but just had no idea. So if, if you have a hammer. Exactly. Yeah. Lots, lot, everything is a nail. So it was, 
that was something that, that made me a little nuts at first to say, but you can, you know, but of course that wasn't the problem to solve with one person. It was, how can we make this concept accessible for everybody? So um, let's see, we started with, uh, I'm, I'm very glossy with going through the content types we had and, and finding the groups that we could consolidate because part of it was that there just were so many that it got very, very granular and confusing. So then we had the task of naming those groups and what were the phrases people might recognize. And so the way we went about testing that, we had a couple different methods and one of them was simply a survey. So we would ask editors, it's very easy because you can you know, create it asynchronously, fire it off with email, there's no scheduling or anything, so very lean research tactic. We would just ask things that we knew were regular use cases for editors. If you want to add an article to the site, which one of these would you use? And, and try to list the content type they'd actually see in their admin interface. And, you know, a lot of them are very obvious, but you'd find very quickly, we did, I think, three rounds of surveys initially, and very, very clearly in the first round, we saw, okay, these three phrases, nobody gets, but everything else makes sense. And, you know, hone in and iterate from there. Um, and some of them, we just needed their perspective to understand, follow up. One of our favorites was trying to combine a number of, uh. um, yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of feelings about the language. Uh, there were blog posts and articles and these sorts of news content that weren't official news releases that needed some sort of ephemeral name. And so we had proposed updates and that did not work, but we didn't understand why. And so after talking with editors, they said, update what? the light bulb went on, you know, whoops, uh, they, they thought it was a verb. You could update something as an option, not that it was even a content type that fit that category. So in situations like that, sometimes it was just as easy as saying, what do you call it? And then pulling out the patterns of, we spoke to a dozen people today and they 10 said, it's a post, not an update. And so that was a pretty, you know, or this is definitely news. We got a lot of very clear feedback from them. Um, and then the, uh, the last thing we went through that was a little more hands-on, when we met in person, we gave them a couple scenarios again of very specific to that department, maybe uh, some content we've already interviewed them about that we knew that they create and have them sort of walk us through how they do it now and how do they create that now and then how do they think that they would in our system. So um, what language made the most sense? Um, anything like that, we could all really tear apart together. So we all agreed when it was, you know, long before it was going into uh, the Drupal system. So I have a question for you. So you have multiple departments. Some of them might have different terminologies. How does that work? Is there any training that goes along with this or something? To you, you put all yeah. the names for things into a hat and you shake it, <laughs> and, you pull it out and that's the winner. Well, I, Eden, you've talked about naming things being the knife fights that happen in conference rooms. I mean, that, that's... <laughs> well, that and what goes in the rotator. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <Say> that. <laughs> yeah, it, it is tricky uh, because there's a, there's a lot of training required and, you know, some of it is them going in person to a class and understanding what everything's for. But, of course, we have to design for the reality that that isn't always going to happen or someone starts new and they miss an orientation. So we built a lot of suggestions into the admin panels as well. So uh, one of the fun things I got to do was create an icon system to try to visually describe the content types. 
And we also came up with little blurbs for examples of if you're looking, you know, this is a bad example because we ultimately made this a content type because so many people looked for it. But in trying to consolidate tons of news options, we had listed an example of all the different sorts of things a category could be. So this, if you're looking for a press release, that's here. Or a campaign is a very specific type of thing, but it doesn't have a content type. So here's where you would add that, you know, being very descriptive so that they could figure it out when they were um, logged in. Interesting. We're talking with the Georgia.gov team from Lullabot, the folks that uh, were behind the content strategy and uh, research that is going into the Georgia project going on. Um, we'll talk about uh, what actually goes into one of these projects and, and, and how long stuff takes coming up right after this. Whether you're learning how to build sites with Drupal or diving into the code, there are community-powered camps, summits, sprints, and trainings happening all over the world. Find all of these and more at DrupalCal.com. And of course, if you want to boost your Drupal chops from the comfort of your own home, point your browser to DrupalEyes.me and stuff your brain full of carefully crafted videos and tutorials. Welcome back. We're talking content strategy with the content strategy uh, Georgia.gov team here at Lullabot. And uh, so something that I've been interested in as I've been hearing everybody talk is just how long did this take and, and kind of what's the breakdown of the amount of work? So uh, I think we spent a total of four months on the project. Um, we ended up going out there five times in that four months for various things. Um, I was on the project full time. Um, Jeff and Marissa were on the project half time. Um, so I ended up acting as sort of the PM and project lead. Um, and then Jeff took on a lot of the content modeling and modeling research and designing the content types and the fields and all of that stuff. And Marissa ended up being um, really, really helpful for us anytime we needed some research done in particular, but also anytime we needed anything drawn for any reason whatsoever, um, <laughs> because we're engineers, we don't do that. But um, so, but that was, that, and, and then I also did a lot of stuff in terms of, like I spent a lot of time doing that content inventory and audit stuff that we talked about early on and um, a lot of time um, tutorial user interface and editorial workflow stuff, um, you know, interfacing with the, um, the stakeholders at Georgia, but also the stakeholders from our design contractor who are a separate group. Um, and, you know, doing, doing a lot of the stuff that was necessary in between all of the things that, um, uh, for instance, one of the things I spent a lot of time thinking about was how we're going to put pages together. Like they need, you know, a lot of, a lot of sites, you end up talking about what's our, what's our best, uh, paradigm for creating landing pages. And, and I spent a lot of time looking into and researching around that. What'd you come up with, Greg? That, that's kind of a different world these days. I mean, anybody can make nodes with right fields on them, but assembling those nodes into, you know, coherent things that are more complex. How is that done? We actually ended up using the Drupal 8 layout manager. Whoa, um, cool. Yeah. We, layout builder is awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, we we um, I, I initially evaluated it and was, I'll be honest, not too impressed with it because there's a lot of usability issues with it that need to be addressed. But the Georgia team was really, really sold on sort of the ability to have this visual way to create drag and drop landing pages. Um, and so um, I went through a list of usability improvements that I thought the layout manager would need and put it to the development team and um, talked to Tim Plunkett and some other people on the layout manager team. And they all said none of this stuff would be, you know, rocket science. And it was stuff like no way to limit and reorganize the list of blocks that you're presented with when you choose one to place, because by default, it just gives you every block in the entire system. And we would like the ability to have section specific um, options so that like if you add a section to a layout, you can choose options for the entire section, like a background color. Um, you know, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of improvements that we that we needed on stuff like that. And, um, they're all getting done and I'm assuming they'll all get contributed back to core when they're finished. So that's going to be great. Um, and then we also, um, created a bunch of micro content types. What's, what's a micro content type? Well, I mean, for us, uh, I think, I think we've been defining mi micro content as, um, pieces of structured content that are assembled together to create a greater whole or that are used to accentuate a piece of core content like an article or a news release. So it's, so it's, it's still a node, right? We're not making custom entities. In this case, we did, I think, make them all actual content types. Yes. Yeah. In the past, I've done them. We've done them as entities or, you know, a lot of people use paragraphs for stuff like that. I think that they ended up and we were on the implementation side of this. We just sort of said, here's how we want it to work and let the dev team, who was also a separate project, um, decide how what they thought the best implementation way would be. And I think they ended up going with actual content types because um, it was going to be easier on them and they would get, you know, all of, you know, since we're using Layout Builder, we would get a lot of block integration out of it and easy interaction with all of the other pieces of the system and stuff like that. Full, full disclosure, I'm on that team, so. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I, 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 I was giving you leading questions. Yeah, so it's, it's essentially a, a piece of content that doesn't necessarily stand on its own, is my understanding. Right. Yeah, it, and, it exists like, because other content needs the information. Sorry, in, in some cases, it's also micro content because we know it's going to be reused all over the place and will be used as a supporting element for, you know, across all different kinds of nodes. But like, as a general rule, we tend to think of something as micro content if like there would never really be a dedicated url for it the public would visit you know it's like you would never come and you know look at the little promo card for a particular upcoming event as a standalone you know piece of content you would just want to go to that event um yeah it, it, it's it, it's a sort of a malleable term, but we find that lots of sites accumulate those things. On some Drupal sites, they end up getting turned into paragraph types. Um, sometimes, you know, if somebody's just just doing stuff with Layout Builder, each piece of micro content is basically a custom block. Um, but you know, it, it, it varies widely. And I think one of the challenges that we find is that dealing with it like as a pure platonic content modeling exercise it's easy to say oh this is micro content but then thinking about what the editorial experience is going to be and how to make it 
actually usable and approachable for the uh, all these people from the agencies that you know we were talking to and marissa was playing the uh the you know i wow i just blanked What's the name of the person who organizes a circus? The ringmaster. Yes. Marissa was the, uh, <laughs> you know, the PM for a circus. Um, uh, you know, Marissa was playing ringmaster to all of these different conversations with, um, you know, with these, with the agency editors. But like, if we had just said, eh, whatever, it's all micro content, you know, let it sort out. I think, you know, the challenge is that it would have been very easy too for that to turn into sometimes they would have to make blocks. Sometimes they would have to, you know, you know, go in and create a node and then add it via an entity reference field. Other times they would use paragraphs and, you know, a lot of sites, I think, especially ones that have grown over time and accumulated requirements that got solved, you know, as they progressed, um, you know, there's certain needs where like you, depending on where in the site you need to create the same thing conceptually, there may be three or four different ways to do that. And that's a lot of like conceptual overhead for editors to maintain. So a lot of what we were doing was not just trying to come up with sort of the perfect paper content model, but also like dialoguing with, you know, the dev team and and uh, the uh, the folks on on the Georgia team side about what the different pros and cons were of going in different directions to bring more consistency to that and like you know as Greg was talking about you know discussing with you know Tim Plunk and the rest of the layout builder team of what kind of UX tweaks could be made so that we could bring some more consistency to that not necessarily. You know, I think that was one of the interesting things, you know, all of us trying to negotiate the boundaries between the content strategy team doing its work in planning out the model and the game plan and how old content would be mapped to new content, stuff like that. And, you know, we weren't the development team, but it's silly to not have those kinds of conversations because there's a lot of really important information that the development team both needs to know because of what we've been digging into on the strategy side and that we need to know because the development team is the one that's best you know uh, they're most aware of the pros and cons of different implementation paths and what the trade-offs will be and all of those things have a significant impact on the final editorial experience which makes or breaks most content on the, you know on, on a real website one of the things to keep in mind is that you know we have a really wide disparate base of users for these sites you know we've got 85 agency sites and they and they spread the gamut some of the agencies are 10 people some of them are hundreds of people some of them have full-time content editors some of them have a person who answers the phones and enters content when it comes in you know it's like it's like the technical skill and attention needed to be given to these editorial decisions was all over the place. And so we really needed stuff that was very consistent in terms of how it gets entered and very simple and intuitive. Um, because we, we all know that a CMS that's hard to use is a CMS that people don't use. And obviously we want people to want to use their CMSs. So of this that we spent a lot of time in is is was research with those users we spent a great deal of time talking to representatives from the agencies um, about their needs and how they use the site and what they want and what pains them about the current site and what pains them about um, entering content or managing media or why they do things we spent a lot of time asking people 
why, not just, you know, oh, it's painful to upload a document, but, you know, can you show us what you're, what you're doing when you upload a document? Well, why did, you, why did you go at it this way? Why did you need to upload a document? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Like really getting into their mindsets because, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, this is hard or I wish I could do this. But, but understanding the why of what they're trying to do when they encounter those problems can open up a whole new world of solutions and possibilities. And we, we really value ourselves in fact, really digging into that why and understanding it. And that was actually another large portion of the work that we did. So Marissa, when you're playing the ringmaster and you're considering the design for all these users, that uh, w- was that was were there any other particular challenges other than there just being a bunch with so many different things? Is is does Drupal play a role in some of these challenges or w- any thoughts? Uh, definitely, uh, there as as Greg said, it was definitely a challenge accommodating a variety of different editors. Where some of them really wanted to be power users, some of them have very limited experience or time, um, and so it was challenging to meet all of those needs as well. Um, but I would say there was a lot that we were adding or that was new that we just didn't know how it was going to be received. And so there was definitely some extra care that we had to take. Um, I was thinking of this as you talked about, how do you define the micro content type? Well, we had the editors essentially explain it in their workflow and we figured out where it fit for them. But we added things like a call to action uh, micro content type that was very new, but we looked at uh, their sites, doing audits, seeing what patterns were breaking, what things seemed to be needed, and then asked them to really go through their whole process of, um, you know, why do you do it now uh, this way? And it took a little more uh, resources than, than maybe I had anticipated. We thought it, I thought it would be a little more straightforward. Um, but it was just so varied with so many different contexts that everybody had a different way to solve the same problem or similar problems, but they weren't exactly the same. So uh, coming up to, to something there was challenging. Um, also, just communicating all of the ideas that we had. Um, we spent a lot of time proposing things and, and going through, and I would say that was fairly challenging because we all are familiar with uh, some level of what the technical implementation might be like or how we're envisioning this to be. I'm picturing the wireframes, the layout in my head while we're talking, but of course everyone else isn't doing that. So um, it's definitely hard to figure out some of the new pieces. Uh, so I, I would say that would be one way that Drupal was a problem, was you know, simple unfamiliarity with it, simple um, hesitance, like how can I say this? Hesitance to try a new thing, hesitance to use it, um, encouraging them to be more engaged with it. Uh, there's only so much that we can do uh, now, because of course it's we're not going to be there when they're building the site. So being able to have that be lasting and all those guides be more clear, um, training in general, all of all of that walkthrough is definitely a complicated process. Uh, so you can see I had a, <laughs> a couple challenges since you asked. Yeah. One uh, one thing that I see here um, is that there is this requirement for sharing content between all of these sites. Yeah, <laughs> I, w- I would like to know what a use ca- like a standard use case is for that. That was mentioned earlier, and I was kind of thinking about that. A lot of folks, a lot of the residents of Georgia struggled with even knowing where to go, so they needed to get to a particular department to solve a problem. But maybe they've moved, or they're just not very involved with 
the government departments. You know, I know a lot more about them now than I did before. Uh, and so they will often start with uh, Georgia.gov or with the Google search of, you know, Georgia blank. Um, and so being able to have some sort of central hub to answer a lot of their questions was really uh, crucial, especially someone that has a lot of um, overlapping different topics of interest or uh, something like health where we discussed or driver services actually crosses over multiple departments. So trying to solve those problems can be um, met with a lot of different inconsistent experiences unless we have the content sharing consistently um, between agencies and especially to the uh, main georgia.gov site. So we were able to reuse a lot of the agency content there to at least tease uh, or bring up a topic or use it as a pathfinder or wayfinding sort of tool to getting them to the page they actually were looking for, but they just had no idea what it was called. And like one of the things that we also ran into was that there was a lot of interest in, um, you know, when, when basically a topic needed to be discussed on multiple different sites, on multiple different agencies. Like, for example, um, if you're applying for um, a hunting license and you need proof of residency and there's a different agency that handles proof of residency than the one that issues the hunting license, I made that up right on it's the probably, fly. It's so. probably true, right? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it's those those kinds of cross agency interactions that are usually where a lot of this complication comes up. Often a small business, and I think you speak to six departments, uh, right. for example. Yeah. Um, but like the idea is that a lot of these different agencies would say have a lot of the same information, but they would rewrite it or they would write it differently. Or one agency would write something up in a context that made sense just for their agency. But then the state of Georgia website would want to have a broader sort of cross agency explanation of the issue that was useful for people who just arrived at Georgia.com and were looking for, or, sorry, Georgia.gov and were looking for an overview. So they would end up rewriting that. And a lot of this kind of stuff, their whole, the whole goal that Georgia, you know, the, the Georgia team came into it with was we want to be able to share this stuff rather than rewriting it over and over. We want to be able to, you know, have it written once and broadcast it out. And it turns out, you know, with 85 sites and different people working on them, that's a very tangly challenge. Um, not just because of the technical stuff. That's actually fairly straightforward, you know, with especially with Drupal 8. There's a lot of basic provisions in there and like, you know, the uh, JSON API module and stuff like that for setting up like a content publishing hub system um, in a fairly straightforward fashion. Now, the problem is the actual workflow and governance questions that end up coming out of that. Like, when can something be shared? Can it be shared before it's published? Does it automatically get shared out to everyone? Do editors on one site pick and choose what things get shared and then others can subscribe to them? What if editors on one, if, what if somebody from one agency writes something, somebody from another agency wants to reuse it but needs to make some changes to it so that it can be used on their site as well? Like, how do you, sort that stuff out and like those kinds of organizational and people challenges end up being the real issue there and some of that stuff you can iron out and you can you know sort of 
settle eventually. Um, but with Georgia, what we discovered was that some of the differences in how things were talked about from agency to agency were really legitimate and important and meaningful. Like, you know, talking about proof of, res you know, proof of where you live or residency for obtaining a particular license versus um, becoming, you know, versus adopting someone. There are different aspects of that that are important and, you know, different levels of rigor that might be involved and treating it as the same piece of content isn't really appropriate. So what we ended up doing is going through all the different stuff that they had and breaking it down into a couple of different categories of different like types of content types. Um, there was stuff that we knew was totally fact-based, like it was just data, things like phone numbers, addresses, the fact that a particular department of a particular agency exists and can be contacted at this number and has this email address and this website, those kinds of things. Um, we knew that they wouldn't really change or differ depending on what site it appeared on. So they could always be shared and we could rely on like totally shared content being used for those, you know, data and fact content types, keeping them in sync so that like the phone number for a particular government agency would never be out of date just because it had been put on a page in one, one website and never got updated when the, the actual department changed their number on their own website. That kind of stuff could be solved using fairly straightforward content sharing. But the other stuff like the, you know, how do you apply for X and it's actually a different answer for, you know, depending on the situation or depending on what agency you're working with, that kind of stuff, we ended up deciding with them that pure content sharing, like a publish and subscribe model where a node gets cloned from, you know, one site to another was actually going to be less useful than sort of a, a linking system that would allow an editor to say, I'm, I'm writing this piece of content, but it's actually based on another piece of content somewhere else. Just let me know if that one changes so that I can be notified of that and I can be warned that I need to check it out because what we found was that the real issue wasn't that they were just so tired of rewriting content. They were actually happy to get a chance to rewrite it the first time. It was that they had to then take on the burden of manually checking, you know, whenever they remembered to make sure it hadn't fallen out of sync. And that was the real danger for them that, you know, they wanted to put it in their own words and so that it made sense to their, you know, their agency's needs. But, you know, they, they, they needed some better way to be notified proactively that the document that they had written it against or the document that it referenced had changed. So solving that problem actually made content quote sharing a lot simpler. So we talked a little bit about, um, the importance of the content that uh, these websites are providing and what that means to the residents of Georgia. Um, are there any, is there anything else that uh, is different working with a government client like this? Um, it's, it's kind of out of the ordinary from, from a lot of the things that Lullabot does. We you know we've done a lot of projects in the entertainment, the sports, the technology. At world. no point were we ever asked to fit another ad slot in. <laughs> You know, that's, that's honestly a really good point. <laughs> oh, it really is. Um, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have to juggle um, 18 different JavaScript libraries to manage 18 different ad and tracking platforms was definitely a plus. Hallelujah. 
other thing is that the 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 type of governance that we had to deal with here was much different than what we deal with in other places. I mean, in some ways it was the same, and in some ways it's different. I mean, Eaton has coined this term archipelago sites for sites that like are distributed across a bunch of different sites, but have an have an overarching like organization, like a government agency or a university or something. And, you know, even in the media companies, we, we involve that, like we've done a lot of work for NBC Universal, obviously, but, and there's a lot of commonalities between but there's a lot of differences too. Um, but the level of independence that the, um, that the agencies had in Georgia, I think was much higher than we usually encounter on these kinds of sites. And their ability to decide whether or not they even wanted to be on the platform changes the equations a lot. He wanted to, you know, there's a lot of benefit for having all of the agencies on a common platform, especially a common platform that's been designed with accessibility and usability because it means that, you know, your information is available for a much greater percentage of your citizenry. Um, you know, we talked with them during the sales process about how important we think mobile friendliness is because a lot of people, especially people who aren't particularly, you know, loaded or have a lot of resources, the phone is the only reason. The phone is their phone is the only way that they can ex that they can access the internet. And a lot of times it's not a good phone even. And so that becomes an accessibility issue in its own right. Um, you know, and so having a standard platform with all of these benefits built into it, the more agencies you can get onto that platform, the better for the citizenry in general. And that's a good thing. But on the other hand, we really had to be careful to make sure that we were doing things that were going to solve the agency's needs too because it because if you know if we if we start to do you know that's going to involve them filling out you know 50 different fields every time they want to create a page for something or that's going to involve like like jumping like for each of those 50 fields jumping out to three pieces of linked content and new you know it's like everything had to be very streamlined and easy because we didn't want to give anyone a reason not to be on the platform met with them our stakeholder, one of our stakeholders, Kendra Skeen, told us that one of their biggest problems is that in terms of their interactions with the agencies, all they have is carrots. They don't have any sticks. All they can do is offer them benefits, but they don't have any way to tell the agencies it's our way or the highway. Um, and that was a real challenge for us because it really meant we had to focus on the ways to make the right things as easy as humanly possible and the wrong things as hard as humanly possible in a way that would benefit the agencies and their editorial teams in order to get the benefits out to the citizenry of Georgia. I thought that was, and to me, that was really the core of most of the challenges of the project for us. Greg, if, if I wanted to hear you talk more about that in particular, <laughs> what, what, is there any way that that could happen? Interestingly enough, I will be presenting at CONFAB next year in April in Minneapolis on this very topic in a talk that is coincidentally enough called All Carrot No Stick. So if you would like to hear more about how we address the challenges of governance on this project and others like it, you can um, hear more about it there. But what if we wanted to hear more about the con content inventory side of things? 
Well, I did a talk about that at Drupal GovCon last year, which you can go see, which was called the Content Strategy Toolkit. And I will be presenting an updated version of that talk at DrupalCon, also in April in Seattle. What a coincidence. And <laughs> what, if, what, if, what if I want some macaroni? <laughs> I think then you would go talk to Marissa. Mar Marissa, do you have any thoughts or any, anything that might have been different for you designing for, for users on the government side? Well, uh, the design team over at IDEO were really coming up with the styling and the design aspect of the site. Um, so most of what I was helping with in the design were really testing the content model, uh, laying out what we had designed in the wireframe. Um, so to some extent, that relationship with content strategy was a little different. Um, but I think as everyone has already said, we were solving for much more important needs and on much more limited resources. Um, so if you imagine someone with a very strong need using a very weak phone, um, we definitely had to uh, consider usability, accessibility, so much more, um, even in the simplicity of, oh, reading level. That was another example of something that you might not think about. Um, the difficulties that it could present, but in such a varied group, it's very possible that you don't even understand your Medicare benefits, even if you can get to that page. So um, it, it wasn't that it was necessarily a new challenge, but everything was 211 um, because we had, we had very high motivation to solve those problems. Here's a question for you. Um, the development is going on right now, um, but the content strategy, you're talking about designing kind of the layout for the data input. Did you do some type of wireframes or anything for the input forms on, on how that is going to look? On a limited basis, but that was one of the things where, given the time constraints, you know, that the content strategy team was on, it's it's sort of like one of those, you know, the you know the way the I think the universal gas law, uh, you know, gas expands to fill the container it's yeah. put in, and you know, it's there was a ton of stuff that this project needed sorted out, and we were able to give some rough guidelines on what we, you know, on what we thought would be good ways to approach certain kinds of problems across, you know, that we saw happening across a bunch of content types, which is why, like, we, we spent a lot of our energy on how to streamline and bring a little more consistency to, like, laying out ad hoc pages and stuff like that, but, um, you know, it just, we, we definitely just, we, we, were, we didn't have the same amount of time to go in and like do detailed wireframing for every editorial page. I think, you know, we're always, we always feel a little lucky when using Drupal to do that because out of box, it's not terrible, but, and, you know, and customizing it is even fairly easy, but it's, it's definitely one of those things that usually requires some iteration because oftentimes, you know, a lot of the simplest changes are only really obvious when you get somebody in front of the actual working site and, you know, they try to use it and they say, oh man, it's really annoying that this field is above this one or something like that. Yeah. And most of the wireframes that we did get to do, I considered more of a proof of concept sort of testing the content model to see if it would work for existing content types. And so it was more of an ephemeral sort of uh, artifact for the client to see and for us to discuss and possibly go back and make some changes. But to your question, there were a couple of fun things we got to do 
with wiring the interface uh, within Drupal. So I worked on the WYSIWYG and just little things, little changes as far as how it should be displayed, the width, which buttons should appear and playing around with some of those icons and that kind of thing. Um, but there were a couple recommendations we made there. And then the other we already mentioned was the add a new content page. So making that oh, yes. very clear. Um, and, and, you know, can you, can you have it work for you in a particular way? There were a couple little display UI things that I'd like to geek out about. Like if you prefer a list or if, uh, you know, that's very lean or do you want to see much more visually and more explanation of the types because you're newer or do you star a couple things at, cause them to pin as favorites up to the top so that you don't even need to look at the big scary list of all the things because you know that your uh, permission allows you for certain things or your job title specifies that you update up one particular piece of content, etc. So one final question for everyone, um, starting with uh, you, Marissa. Uh, what's, the, uh, what's the primary lesson that you learned on this project? Well, it's kind of cheating, um, but I have so much more respect uh, and admiration for the content work that Lullabot does and that our, our strategists, uh, Jeff Eaton and Greg Dunlap do. It's not one lesson, but I learned, um, well, I was gonna curse. I learned a lot about content <laughs> work. Uh, Did you learn a shitload? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I learned a crap ton mm. of stuff. Um, thank you, uh, thank you, Cleve. <laughs> yeah, so it's not a particular lesson, but as far as um, just the simple ways to actually execute the things that we wanted to do, uh, there was a lot of ideas that we had that I hadn't really gotten to go through the best ways of auditing or what to do when we find a pattern that's broken and those sorts of things. So yeah, it's, it's hard to pin down because I learned so much from, from the team. All right, working across the screen, Greg. Uh, it's hilarious because I was going to say that the the biggest thing that I learned was how valuable uh, Marissa could be to our team. <laughs> um, I, when, when we first when we first put this project together, we added a you know a kind of I'm not going to say as in a, as an afterthought but I think we weren't sure exactly how that person was going to get used and the amount of value that Marissa brought to this project was incalculable like like the ability to start you know when we'd sit down and one of the things that I've struggled with in this work is that a lot of times the best way to describe something is very visual and I'm an engineer by trade my tendency in meetings or in descriptions is to write words or to talk and marissa was always bringing us back to you know like like she we would be talking and she would say here i drew this or you know here's some wireframes that i threw together that for some possibilities we could do this and that stuff just always was just like was just like the thing that we needed in that moment and then also to see and watch and learn from the research process because I had never really been involved in that side before and understanding the level of value that that research could bring to the project. And a lot of the times it wasn't necessarily big 
learns. A lot of times it was just like Marissa was saying, like we realized that we had just named a content type something dumb or, you know, just like the stuff that gives the polish to the system that will eliminate like that 10% of friction that everybody struggles with all the time. Um, I mean, I think, I think we're to the point now where we would be hard pressed to suggest a major strategy engagement without that role being filled ever because because we we suddenly realized how much we were missing well thanks i was going to say i couldn't help but sketch constantly after jeff eaton <laughs> gave me a bunch of laminated sheets to use as portable whiteboards nice. so that was <laughs> that was a fun on site <laughs> I'm, I'm a dedicated whiteboard pusher the first whiteboard is free <laughs> 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 Jeffrey, like in the, in the back alley behind Drupal, kind of, you need some whiteboards. <laughs> oh yeah, you you think you get it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he I, has a friend that them. Jeff, any lessons learned from you? Oh boy, I mean, I I very similar. I'll 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 cheat and say that like cross disciplinary communication and coordination is so critical on a project like this because on the design side and on the development side and on the research side and on the like content inventory and analysis and strategy side everybody's coming up with like real actual insights into what the situation is and what the needs are and what the current state of affairs is and it's so easy for those pockets of understanding to to never mix to you know for for those things to never be shared and it's very easy to say like oh you know you will we'll make sure that you get sent a copy of our write up or something like that but there's just no substitute for regular ongoing like collaboration between those different disciplines just because we're all coming at it from different angles and bringing different stuff to the table and it helps everybody when there are those kinds of fresh perspectives coming in and i mean even knowing that going in it was still something that you know when when we didn't do it it always came back to bite us and when we did do it we were always startled by how useful it was so it's just it's one of those evergreen things to to keep coming back to make sure that you don't just have different stakeholders in there but different disciplines and different skill sets there too right on maybe next podcast mike we won't have such a love fest <laughs> Maybe some more, uh, definitely more cursing. Yeah, we'll bring the drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, thank thank you very much, and uh, Georgia.gov coming to a website near you at some point. It'll be peachy. <laughs> yeah. uh, who invited Dave Reed to this call? Uh. <laughs> You have a November mustache eaten. <laughs> no, I have an incredibly lazy dude beard. Nice. Ooh. <laughs> I don't believe in seasonal beards. I just believe in like the ebb and flow of a beard, like the tide. Yes. It's going to be Rip Van Eaton. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs>